Over 130 residential schools operated in Canada. The first federal residential school began around 1883, the last closed in 1996. These schools, predominantly funded and operated by the Government of Canada and Roman Catholic, Anglican, Methodist, Presbyterian, and United Churches, were created to enforce the adoption of European traditions, languages, and lifestyles by First Nations, Métis, and Inuit children. To better understand the history of these schools and what it meant to Indigenous communities, we invited residential school attendees and their families to share their stories and experiences. For some, these stories are a moment of healing. For others, a chance to talk about the history and the system. All are important to preserve for future generations. My name is Ryan Funk, and with my co-host Lisa Muswagen, we followed these stories for We Stand Together. My name is Lisa Muswagen, and I am a Nakota Cree member of the Pemichigamakree Nation, also known as Cross Lake. I had the opportunity to sit on several projects that had to do with residential school. And this is the We Stand Together project with Ryan Funk and our special guest. Hi, my name is Ryan Funk with U Multicultural. The We Stand Together project was created to hear the stories of residential school survivors so that us today and those in the future can learn from them, so we can move forward in a country of unity. Welcome, Vivian, to uh, U Multiculturals. We stand together. Thank you for inviting me. I'm busy looking around in that. This is, yeah, I'm very curious and looking forward to working in this project here. Yeah. So Vivian, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. I'm 50 some odd years old. I'm not going to give the exact age. <laughs> uh, so, but closer to, I'm closer to 60 and that. And um, I'm from the Treaty 3 area, Kenora, Ontario. And um, I'm Ojibwe Okwe from there. And I appreciate how Lisa introduced herself. It shows that she knows where she's from and how she can pronounce her, um, the, uh, the community that she's from. Uh, unfortunately, I've, uh, I attended residential school when I was about six, six years old. And um, unfortunately, I lost, I lost a lot of my language. And in fact, I've lost uh, the beginnings of my story. I usually use my name Vivian when I'm talking about my personal story. The reason because of that, my dad also attended um, Cecil Jeffrey, where the residential school that I attended. And um, they took away his, his last name. I'm not sure the why, but they took away his true last name, his indigenous last name, and they gave him the last name Ketchum. So legally, I, don't, I, I was given that, that last name and, um, for my dad. So I always use my um, first name when I talk about my personal story. That's because that's the name my mom and dad gave me. And I like to honor my mom and dad when I, when I talk about my personal story. As I was mentioning, I attended Cecil Jeffrey uh, in Kenora, Ontario. It was about uh, by Round Lake, just outside of Kenora, Ontario. And um, the, it was run by the Presbyterian Church. And they used to have their residential school in um, Shoal Lake, uh, Ontario. Then they moved it to Round Lake by Kenora, Ontario. 
And I attended there when I was about six years old. I can't remember, the, recall the very day that I attended. My, my body, my mind probably can't recall the day that I, that I attended. What I can recall is the smells and the emotions that are still here. I remember my first probably earliest memories um, standing along with a bunch of other little girls about my age. I was one of the youngest ones and um, were given piles of clothes, little slacks, a blue, I was given a blue uh, flowered blouse, socks, underwear and that, and canvas shoes. Were given, uh, put them in a little cupboard about, probably about four squares like this. And this is where we put our clothes. No, they weren't, they're just like they're open. Uh, it's kind of, <laughs> and that was where we put our clothes. And then we put them there. Then we were led to the, the bunk. There was a long dorm, maybe about 10 rows on one side and maybe 10 on the other. And this is where the youngest ones. And I was on the bottom bunk because I, um, I can't, couldn't climb up to the top one. And we were given pajamas. I don't know how why you guys, um, the white people say pajamas or something like that. It's just like, what the heck, pajamas? Like, they're up in their pajamas. <laughs> And it was like, oh my, I can't, I couldn't twist my mouth like that, like, oh, pajamas. Like, it's like, oh. But we're given pajamas and I'm um, like, and we're supposed to put them underneath the pillow. And once we make the, um, the bed, it has to be a, a military style, extremely flat, hospital corners, and the pillow, the blanket pulled over the pillow, and then tucked underneath. It has to be like military style, no wrinkles, no nothing at all, or you're gonna get um, hit, you're gonna get, you're gonna get yelled at by the house mother. I hate using that term, house mother. I really do. A mother to me is one who makes bannock, who makes the clothes smell nice in the sunshine, who braids your hair. Not a house mother who hits you and yells at you. And so, like I was saying, I was about six years old and I went there and um, we're at the bottom of the bunk bed. You never get to sleep because you go for bedtime, you say your prayers. And I, I was, sorry, I apologize to any church members, but I they used to have this Jesus uh, cross and it was always an angry Jesus when you said your prayers. And so you're in, uh, being told you're our Father who are in heaven like this and then and then you're also told that um, you're going to go to hell. And then there's a statue, a wooden statue, uh, or a picture of an angry Jesus looking at you. And he's white, so maybe that's them, I don't know. But um, so we say our prayers and we go, we go to bed. And then um, this is what part haunts me for the rest of my life. You're laying in bed there. And I'm wishing, I'm used to sleeping with my sisters, my two older sisters. I'm used to feeling soft, homemade blankets around me, the smell of sunshine. I didn't get that. I could smell the blankets were itchy. Uh, they scratched my face and they made me itch. And um, I'm used to having my dad tell stories. I didn't have that. I was alone in the bunk bed in a darkened corner of this room. Then I can start hearing it. I it started in the far corner of the, of the dorm sobs of little girls trying hard not to cry, crying for their mom and dad, but not 
quietly enough so that we can hear them, but not loud enough so that the house mother will hear them. They're holding back their cries. Um, that, that, was, that was the worst part, but also the worst part was people started moving, the, the older kids started coming, the older girls started coming down and abusing the little girls. If you had a scab on your, thing, on your hand, they would pick it off. You'd get molested. And if you didn't have your sister in that room, you were a prey to the, to the other girls. But the house mother would come and do her, her um, bed night check. She always checked every, every few hours. So once, that, once you see that flashlight bobbing in the hallway, all the older girls would just go back to the bed and the sobbing would stop. And I think that still haunts me when I see the flashlight on the, on the, on the, in a dimly lit room. It just brings me back. When then day she goes back and everybody's back in their bunk beds. You're almost asleep and all of a sudden you hear the thrill, the, the, the fire drill going off. You're just in your deep sleep where you can escape the horrors of residential school. Then that fire drill goes off. You don't know what's happening, but you're told to line up and go downstairs. And um, some kids would not, would not wake up and they would have to be carried down, all the way down to the fourth. If we're on the fourth floor and we'd be, someone would be carried down, we'd be, walk all the way downstairs and we'd be counted outside and back upstairs, go back to sleep for another couple hours and we'd get woken up again. And then we would wash up, we'd have a, a large sink with a rubber hose at the end and you push that and you wash your hands like that. I, they have one of those sinks at the university here, I think it's at one University of Winnipeg or Manitoba. They have that type of sink in there and I just had, uh, I nearly passed out when I, when I walked in that bathroom and I saw that, that circular, half circular sink. I nearly passed out. I just like, oh my gosh. I was like, um, I'm in my, I walked into my nightmare, but I, I, just, I just walked out of there. But once you get, once you get to the um, downstairs, you wash up, you go downstairs, you get counted again, and you go to the, um, past the lock, the lock room into the um, dining room. And then you're um, fed strange food. I've, I'm not, I wasn't used to eating that kind of food. There was some um, scrambled eggs with green stuff in them, and I'm not going to eat that. And there's milk. I'm not going to drink that. I don't. I'm not. I mean, where's my tea? Where's my um, sugared um, tea? That my like. Oh, that's what I'm used to drinking. Like carnation in my tea. My mom would make it um, hot and sweet. I didn't have that. I had this awful tasting milk, and so I'd push it away. And then I could see my two sisters across the, the, the dining room and um, I'm starting to cry again, but they, I could see them get up again that, because it, what they've always been told by my mom and dad, look after Benunja, look after baby, that's me. They were told always to look after me, no matter what, what in the, wherever we were, I was supposed to be looked after. That's what they were told by mom and dad. And they could see me crying in the far and they were going to get up and come to me. Instead, they were pushed down by the staff member. And the, the house mother comes to me and she pushes the, um, 
those scrambled eggs in front of me. You gotta eat this. And I'm trying to get up, I'm trying to go away, and I get shoved right back on the chair. And I'm, for, I'm forced to eat those eggs and drink that milk until I threw up. The dining room was empty, everybody went to school, and I'm sitting there, and I threw up all over the table. I was just told to wipe up and um, go to the um, locker room and get ready for school. The school was right next to the uh, residential school, and, and I, I loved that little blue schoolroom. Um, my first teacher was Mrs. Rice, and she was, she was good. She was, she smelled good. She talked softly, and there was no prayers. There was no angry Jesus pictures around there. And um, in the summertime, she uh, made them. Um, butter. We sat out in the grass there in front of the school, in front of the little schoolroom, and we made butter, white butter, and she put them, um, she had crackers and we had um, a snack there. I love, I'm always fascinated by food, probably because I didn't have enough of it in residential school, or it was probably pretty bad that I didn't eat it. Again, at recess time, then you're, um, if you don't have your older siblings or Somebody to look after you, and when you're out there, you don't have. It's not the little girls that come after you; it's the older boys. And they and they took the little ones out in the bush. Yeah, hold them down and rape them. They're only kids. Like it, it, it was done to me. Two older boys. I think I was about six years old. And sometimes um at um. Yeah, so one of the, and then at Christmas time, one of my parents couldn't, couldn't come and get me. They, I was shipped to Winnipeg. And that was like heaven for me because an older lady, an older church lady came and I got to stay with her and I got to wash up in a big tub and I, and, um, I felt safe and I got to eat food and I, that was good. She took me shopping and that, it was, it was good. But then I had to go back, back to the hellhole. There was an incident, looking at my finger here. I was told one time I had to go to the dentist, and um, I'm not, wasn't sure what, the, what, the, what a dentist is, and it was it another monster. So me and another girl, we stayed, we hidden out in the shower room all day, and we were called out to the locker room at the end of the day, and the house mother said, we had up lined up in rows of fours, and she says, Vivian, come up here. I said, how come you didn't go to the dentist? I kind of shrugged my shoulder because she's talking too fast. And I didn't quite understand her. And I like, went like this, and then she said, um, take off your shoe. And I took off my shoe. I was wondering why she wanted my, my canvas shoe. These are like uh, canvas rubber sole shoes at the bottom, and there's canvas on top. That's the kind of shoes that we wore. And she had me take it off, and she had me, um, Take a, put my hand out like this, and she hit me as hard as she could with my, with my shoe, and she ended up breaking my finger. I remember the pain going from the tip of my fingers all the way up to my elbow, and it stopped right here. It stopped. And I was told by the uh, psychologist years, like in my 40s when I went, he said the reason why the pain stopped was because you shut down. To survive, you had to shut down. That's when 
When I got hit with that shoe, that was the day I quit crying. And then I kept breaking my finger. Yeah. Yeah, I was about there about three years until it closed down in 1976, 77. It was got kind of chaotic at the end. My life, my home life wasn't the same after I left residential school. Yeah, my mom and dad turned into monsters. Yeah, I love them, but they turned into monsters. I don't blame them. I was told my dad was broken by, by what happened, by the loss of kids, so I don't blame them. I love my mom, my mom and daddy. Thank you for sharing your story mm -hmm. uh, with us. I, I know it's incredibly painful yeah. and hard to talk about, but I think it's important to hear these stories because this is within many people's lifetime. It's not that long ago. It was, like, what was it, the 90s? Like 1996 90, was the last, the last one. one? Mm -hmm. <sighs> that was quite the powerful story that you shared with us. Mm -hmm. I know. Um, um, when I hear these stories, I, th I think about you as a child, you know, and when what and what you went through. And I know sometimes we forget that and other people forget that our elders are the people that are older than us. They were all children, too, little girls like our own. And so yeah. I, I really, you know, my heart goes out to you and your families and all the families that came after you, including your grandkids. You know, um, um, that intergenerational trauma is hard to heal from, mm. and I know you're probably still struggling with that today. Yeah, I do a lot of writing. I'm, I'm a writer. I'm what you call a, a storyteller. For me, I get asked to do, uh, share my stories in words and in person. And for me, when I write, I call my residential school stories, I call her my shadow child. That way I can strong enough to separate the two I think and now I'm realizing my shadow child wants to be heard. The secrets that she held for those 50 some odd years are coming out. She doesn't have to carry them anymore. I'm sharing that my, when, I when I share my personal story, the secrets that my shadow child hold is no longer mine to hold. It's everybody else's to hold. And it makes the load a lot lighter. Yeah. As someone who's non-Indigenous, yeah. Lots of these stories I'm hearing for the first time, mm -hmm. which is just scary that this dark aspect of Canadian history, something that we still see the shadows of today, mm -hmm. just get glanced over in, at least in my education, it was. And so just hearing these stories and the, the atrocities and the dehumanization of yourself and other Indigenous folk is just haunting. And it was made legal. There was laws passed by the federal government to do this. And um, these laws still haven't changed very much because they're still taking ch our children away from us. I look at the, the, how many people are, how many of our people are in jail. There's still laws that, that they can do this to us. I like to say, even though something's legal, it doesn't necessarily mean it's right. Mm -hmm. So we hear a lot of, the t we hear the term reconciliation mm -hmm. thrown out a lot. What does that look like to you? Or what sort of action would you like to see? 
Well, reconciliation is heart knowledge of our stories. Um, li li listen to us, hear us, walk with us. I've done so many um, sharing of my story and that um, I want them to gain the, the understanding from where I'm coming from. I'm working hard to understand them. So I think dialogue is really important in reconciliation. Uh, we can say respect, but we're not, we're not there yet. Dialogue right now it has to happen. Then with dialogue comes understanding. Then comes understanding, comes respect. And that's why I appreciate you when, you when you told me about this project. I said, okay, you're, doing, you're reaching out in an act of reconciliation, which I really appreciated. To return that favor, I come and join you in these hard chairs that are really uncomfortable. <laughs> I know for our listeners out there, it's um, as as a newcomer coming to Canada, it's very important to learn about the history, about wherever it is that you do come from and where you do go to in Canada. Because mind you, we all come from different treaties, and like right now, we're sitting in the Treaty One territory. And um, like our, like Vivian said, she comes from Ontario. And so they have, like, treaties are all, all across Canada. So no matter if you're in Calgary, from New Brunswick to everywhere, you always have to know what treaty you are in as a form of um, respecting the nation that we're on and, and, and learning what the peoples of that nation went through because the residential schools have gone all across Canada. And like Vivian said, the last one just recently closed in what the the eighties was it the eighties the nineties yeah nineteen ninety six yeah so it's it's been an an, an atrocious history for our people and so we were very thankful for Vivian for sharing you know her experience and like if you're indigenous there is a strong chance that your parents or your grandparents went to the residential school. I just wanted to share that with you. Yeah, so let's continue to talk, have these dialogues, and let's continue to learn and move forward so that we can all be a united community of, of people, yeah. celebrating our, our differences and our cultures. Opening our hearts and our minds to hear and allowing ourselves to to understand what this information is, what's given, and especially the history of this country. Let's get over this Pocahontas syndrome. Yes. I, I, I truly <laughs> hate that. Um, I go parking lots, I go down to the street, and I get um, non-Indigenous men. Even though I'm over 50, I'm still getting people trying to buy me, which is really offensive and not safe. So get over this Pocahontas syndrome. I'm not Pocahontas. Oh, and we're not. Um, we're not quiet and meek like this. We're not. Forget that. I'm not. I will speak up. I will have a voice. And I'm learning to say no. After been after I've been denied all my no's, I've been told that I couldn't say no. What was being done to me. And that now I now I can say no, and I am going to say no. Yeah. 
so because of your your experiences and your history and everything that you went through what are you doing today now to help you know strengthen our community to help um, share with the younger people maybe you want to share with our viewers your initiatives and your projects you're doing in the community well there's one last year i did what it's called the postcards for reconciliation this came about after the first uh september 30th walk in, in winnipeg and I was so, it was, a, I think it was close to a few thousand people that walked to Winnipeg. And I was so moved by that. But I've also seen this before in 2015, the closing of the TRC event where there was marches and promises and words and actions declared that, that the people that were marching with us said they were going to do this and this. A few weeks later, they forgot my story. They forgot their actions. They forgot their words. So this onset last year of September 30th, I wanted people to carry on that message. So I created postcards for reconciliation and people there. I asked people what are you going to do to carry on the message of September 30th, healing and reconciliation. And um, I'm still getting letters today. And um, they send, they mail letters to me. And now I got a big bo box. I had to move it. To, there was a tiny box of postcards and I got to move them over to a bigger box. So that's, that's great. I love, I love the initiative especially from school children. Teachers are uh, having kids write little messages of, of reconciliation. I love that. Those are seeds. And I'm also learning, I'm also getting messages from older church people in their 70s and 80s where they're apologizing and trying to change their attitudes towards us indigenous people. I love those messages. There are seeds of reconciliation that I love. And I'm also working uh, I think that's um, Calls to Action 92 for businesses. I'm working with another person, and I'm doing uh, online presentations for that. And I also do a lot of speaking, uh, speaking and writing for different uh, organizations. I moved, um, I moved, I'm still doing churches, but I'm on a branch out to different organizations like uh, nurses, uh, the local businesses. So I'm doing what I can. The scary thing is, I'm trying to record as much as I can of my story, of my, of, of my work that I'm doing, because we don't live too long, unfortunately. So I want to try to do as much as I can while I'm still around. It might sound a little bit sad, but it's true. A lot of people are like, you're going to live, what, until 70s, 80s? A lot of my people live until their 50s. So you have a gift of 20 years. Yeah. I don't know any more. Like the Queen lived, what, to 96? Yeah. But that's, 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 that's her. I don't know too many indigenous people who live to be 96. This was uh, We Stand Together. I'm Ryan Funk. And I'm Lisa Miswagen. And stay tuned as we continue to talk with more survivors about their experiences and what reconciliation looks like. You don't want to miss this. Umulticultural is located on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and on the national homeland of the Red River Métis.